0: If you're a if you're a voter in Kentucky, you have two Republican senators. You've had a conservative governor until this year. Um, you have mostly Republican House members. You listen to Fox. You watch you watch Fox. You listen to talk radio. You never hear any criticism of the president. So it builds yeah. on itself because these Republicans don't speak up. I don't I don't think that they, they don't they don't first of all acknowledge their fear. Politicians most politicians think we're all we all think we're more courageous probably than we are. Is anybody worrying about me and that I'm going to retire at 65 and I don't have anything in the bank for retirement? Anyone worried about me? When President Obama came into office, the unemployment rate was 10%. When he left, it was 5%. So President Trump did not inherit a mess. He inherited a momentum.
1: Hello and welcome to TrumpCast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. I'm going to speed into today's show because I'm chomping at the bit to get to today's guest, former Republican congressman from Illinois, Joe Walsh. What's that word former modifying anyway, you might ask? Well, yes, Joe Walsh is no longer a congressman, but he is also no longer a Republican. Joe just today suspended his campaign to primary Trump as a Republican, having gotten 1% or something in the Iowa caucus. And he now says he will campaign for any Democrat who wins the nomination, up to and including a socialist. Better a socialist than Donald Trump, in the views of former arch conservative Joe Walsh. Better still, Joe is quite confident that Trump can be beaten in November. Now, remember, Joe was all in for birtherism. He implied he'd wage civil war if Hillary won the presidency. So you may wonder if he's still a wolf in sheep's clothing, but I'm betting not. I love a redemption story, and I can't wait to hear Joe's tale of recognizing the GOP as a cult and getting the hell out. Joe, welcome to Trumpcast. Hey, Virginia. Awesome to be with you. Let's jump in. I'm one of your new fans, and not just because of the recent stuff, but just the insight you've brought to the failures of Trumpism have been fantastic, have been really illuminating.
0: It's been the wildest six months of my life, Virginia. You know, I come from the world. I mean, I voted for Trump, not because I liked him. And in fact, I mean, I criticized him back then, but I turned on him pretty quickly after he got elected. But I mean, fast forward to Iowa, the caucuses last week, that was the most depressing experience I've ever had.
1: So for anyone who missed your thread about it, your incredibly shrewd, (laughs) insightful Twitter thread about it, tell about your experience in Iowa.
0: So there were two experiences that jump out. Uh, Trump came in the Thursday before the caucus for one of his lie-filled, narcissistic, stupid rallies. And what I did was, Virginia, I, I worked the line before the rally. I mean, I'm a Republican, a bunch of re- captive Republican voters. So I, I talked to people in the line before they went into the rally. And after about an hour and 15 minutes, I wanted to cry. I think I asked almost 40 people a simple question. Has Donald Trump ever told the American people a lie? And I kid you not, all 40 people said no no, 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 he's never told a lie. And it it got worse from there. I mean, nobody in line knew that under Trump, our deficits now were north of a trillion. Everybody in line thought that hundreds of miles of wall had been built. Everybody thought that Mexico was paying for it, though nobody could explain how Mexico was paying for it. And there were a few people in line, Virginia, who actually thought Donald Trump had never, ever played golf since he got elected president. This was about four days before the Iowa caucus. And I, I almost cried myself to sleep that night. And then the final thing that happened was literally caucus night. I spoke at the largest precinct, the caucus site, largest caucus site in Iowa. There were about 3,000 people there. I spoke after Laura Trump, Trump's daughter-in-law, and, and she was just goofy. I mean, she said, you know, America's great. The Democrats suck. The call was perfect, and everybody applauded. And then I got up, and I had three or four minutes to speak, and I I I tried to respectfully challenge the room of three thousand Republicans. I said, "Our party needs to do some soul searching. We're a bunch of we're a party of old white men. We need to be more tolerant." And the crowd booed me. I said, "We're going to lose young people and and women and people of color." And the crowd booed me. I said, "We need a president who doesn't lie all the time." jeered and said, we need a president who is decent and isn't cruel. Uh, And they about ran me out of the room. So I've never been to a mega rally, but that felt like a mega rally. And I I was convinced Virginia after that, that A, we were going to get killed in the Iowa caucuses. And I just realized this is not my party. It is a cult and there's nothing I can do uh, with so many of these people.
1: I think I I referred on Twitter to your experience with that line. And then in that rally for Trump as an encounter with the Nicole killed OJ crowd. Yes, You know, this has gone really far. This is the sun. You know, this is this is flat earthers. I mean, if they're saying, no, we don't need any more decency. No, Trump has never gone golfing. Then they really are living in an upside down world, and I can imagine for someone like you who's committed himself to the Republican Party that this must be just disconcerting, upsetting, but maybe also inspiring because you have you have some ideas about what's next.
0: Yeah, and I think what's next, Virginia, is the you know fuck the Republican Party. Stick a fork in the party; they're done. Mm. And by the way, again, I was on conservative talk radio for a number of years. It was never easy because I would always speak my truth. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, you needed to kiss Donald Trump's feet every day if you wanted to survive on talk radio. I would never do that. But Virginia, you know, um, a a lot of these folks at the rally and in line, they're being fed bullshit. I mean, Mm -hmm. outright lies Mm -hmm. uh, from the conservative media world, the world that I came from. I mean, they're being lied to every day. It's just so sad.
1: How did it happen? Because we've had lots of people on this show—never Trumpers, former Republicans, former—you know—Republican intellectuals, conservative intellectuals—who have, at various times, broken, uh, or at, you know, at various stages in their own intellectual development, decided I can't abide this. When did it happen for you, and why then?
0: Again, I voted for Trump. He blocked me on Twitter during the 2016 campaign because I would criticize him. After he won, I tried to do the whole good Trump, bad Trump thing. And I'd praise him when he did something good and criticize him when he did something bad. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of something pretty profound. I did not pay attention to Donald Trump during that 16 campaign. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of that. I, I figured Donald Trump is just a blowhard and a goof. Maybe he'll appoint a couple good people and a couple good things might happen. Shame on me. I should have paid more attention because from the moment I started to pay attention to him after he got elected, I found out that, you know, damn near every time he opens his mouth, he tells a lie. That's where Trump really went south on me. I don't give a damn what your politics are. We've never, ever in America had a president who lies to us on an hourly basis like this guy did that's when I really began to go south on Trump. And then my final straw was Helsinki 2018, mm. when Donald Trump stood in front of the world and said, I believe Putin and not my own people. That was the greatest act of disloyalty I've ever seen in the president. I went on the radio that night and said it. I probably began you know, losing my audience and advertisers from that moment on.
1: I mean, it is incredible that audience and advertisers, I mean, breaking with Trump on anything, I get that Donald Trump is going to tweet or tweet whatever, but it's the advertisers and the audience turning, which is, you know, you're known for, you're connected to libertarians. These are people with minds of their own. Why in the world would they decide, oh, we can't stand with someone who thinks two plus two equals four because we're all in for two plus two equals five? I just don't know what happened to them.
0: I suppose it's a numbers game. So like Sean Hannity's audience and he, I mean, he's an idiot, but Sean Hannity's audience is probably like 95% mega, uh, mega head uh, folks. My audience, my audience, when Trump got elected, it was probably 70%. And with each day that Trump was president, I would lose those people. Hmm. Now I would gain independence and a lot of Democrats listened to me because they knew I'd be honest. But there just aren't enough of them in conservative talk radio to replace all of the Trump followers that I was losing. So I would get pressure every day. I mean, uh, Salem Communications was my syndicator. They've got Hugh Hewitt and Dennis Prager. By the way, they let Michael Medved go before Mm -hmm. I started with them because Michael Medved didn't like Trump. So there's enormous pressure from advertisers and radio companies to basically be Trump sycophants. Hmm. I was under that pressure every day and every week, um, and it, it, it was just miserable.
1: Yeah. You know, we've talked to Republican operatives like Rick Wilson. We've talked to intellectuals like Max Boot, but we haven't talked to someone in that strange conservative media system, broadcasting system, yeah. the one that has, you know, Fox News and Rush Limbaugh at the top of it. And it is strange and troubling to find yourself locked into, a, you know, a propaganda machine that can't even, that has no room for dissent or free thought.
0: Yes. And what's since, I guess what makes me a different animal, Virginia, is that, again, I was not a never-Trumper from the beginning. And I relate to a lot of who the Trump followers are. The same people who voted for Trump sent me to Congress. The same people who voted for Trump generally listen to me on the radio. I understand what Trump is to them. Um, and, and I empathize with it a little
1: bit. Well, tell me about that part, because, you know, this crowd much better than I do. You know, tell me about the empathy and tell me about you understand what they like about Trump, because for, you know, for Democrats, sometimes that can be a difficult leap of imagination.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, you know, Virginia, the easiest way to look at it is, and again, right or wrong, this is how they feel. Donald Trump is payback, period. Uh, hmm. he, he is a punch in the face. To CNN and the Washington Post and the New York Times and the liberal elites and really the, anybody that you know people think of as an elite. He's pure payback. Hmm. Um, I've had so many of these folks, Virginia, tell me over the last couple of years, they don't give a damn that Trump lies. They don't give a damn that he cheats. They don't give a damn that he's corrupt. He's punching the people who they want him to punch. Mm-hmm. And That's where my audience and I went different directions, because intellectually, I can't support a criminal. I can't support a guy who solicits foreign interference in our elections. I can't support a guy who abuses the Constitution, and I can't support a guy who lies. Mm -hmm. But 90 percent of his followers don't care. They've told me this. They don't care and or they don't believe it because Sean Hannity tells them Donald Trump doesn't lie. Because all they care about is Donald Trump is punching CNN in the mouth. He's pure payback. Now, a lot of these folks, Virginia, have felt beaten down for a long time.
1: Mm -hmm. You know,
0: they felt beaten. They felt beaten down by a political party that doesn't listen to them, by elites. Again, their language, elites in New York and Washington who Mm -hmm. laugh at them about brown people coming over our border, taking their jobs away, and on and on it goes. And along came a demagogue who doesn't believe shit. He doesn't believe any of this. Yeah. But the moment, Virginia, I saw it and then I'll shut up. But the moment Donald Trump said, I'm going to build the wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. It was like I heard a million people listening to me on the radio say, finally, finally, somebody's going to punch back for me, mm-hmm. even though I knew when Trump said that, Well, that's a stupid idea, and he really doesn't mean it. Mexico's not going to pay for it. My audience, his followers, just said, amen, finally.
1: This is very clarifying. Now, here's a follow-on question. What specifically, not aesthetically or culturally, but what specifically was so oppressive about the eight years of the Obama presidency. Like, we had no Weimar. We had no out-of-control inflation. We had no um, Dust Bowl. You know, we, it, it seems to be the things that bugged people about Obama are these fine points about culture. Like you, Obama's from Illinois. Now, they yeah. can point to the Harvard education, but you could do the same with Donald Trump. And of course, then there's the racism. But what about having a biracial president affected their yeah. daily lives so much that they would do anything possible to own the libs, including seemingly shooting themselves in the face?
0: Yeah. You know, Virginia, and I, th- I think the race thing is part of it, but it- it's a weird thing. Like, I was one of the most outspoken Tea Party leaders. Yeah. And I went to Washington in 2010. And I think there were two strands to the Tea Party movement. There was the strand that I believe in, which is at that time we were $12 trillion in debt. And by the way, the Tea Party started before Obama got elected. Uh, Shame on you Republicans and Democrats for bankrupting future generations. Mm -hmm. That's the Tea Party that sent me to Washington. But I can't deny there was kind of an ugly populist strand to the Tea Party. And I think what happened was once we all went to Washington in 2010, and we didn't do squat about the debt. They turned towards some more of the ugly populist stuff. Um, They they got more personal against Obama. They got more personal about some of the cultural issues. And then by the time Trump came along, that's all he did. He tapped into their populist strand, and I'm going to build the wall, and brown people are bad, and all the rest. And that that just consumed because Virginia, you know, and mm-hmm. I know I get pissed off because none of my Tea Party people even talk about the debt anymore.
1: I mean, I can't, I really can't imagine. I mean, you're a University of Chicago person. I know you're also a man of the people, but, you know, you know know from economics and other people who've who've left the party, including uh, a a couple years ago, Bruce Bartlett wrote a fantastic piece about being a Republican apostate. This is the guy that basically made up supply-side economics and Reaganomics. And he just could not believe leave. You know, in, in his case, it was George W. Bush's um, fiscal irresponsibility, bloated government that just made him say the uncanny has switched into the unbearable, the intolerable. <laughs> and I think, I think Justin Amash also has made this decision. Yes, there are
0: a lot of parallels between Amash and myself. I, I was like a lonely voice on the radio after I left Congress. And Justin, my friend, has been a lonely voice still within the halls of Congress.
1: Oof. You showed up at one percent, a little bit, a little bit more than one yeah. percent in Iowa, and I know that that's obviously a, you know about as low as numbers come. But there's still one percent <laughs> of people who support you. I mean, what did it take? Because at various places, we've seen cracks and fissures in the Republican Party, robust Never Trumper movement. Project Lincoln is pretty extraordinary. It's been a great project. We've had dissenters even from the lowest ranks, you know, uh, some Trump trolls that have broken with it. So who are those people? Who are the rank and file Republicans in Iowa who were able to break with Trump and vote for you?
0: Well, and I'll tell you, Virginia, this was really my first real in-depth Iowa caucus. And my God, let's hope it's it's the last. I mean, (laughs) And and you know the lay of the land. I mean, again, my party is not a party. It is a cult. Mm. Uh, Ten state parties just canceled their primaries and caucuses altogether. That's still, I mean, yeah, impeachment is a huge story. But my God, that has never happened in America. And it's a shame it's not a big story. Ten states just like disenfranchised millions of Republican voters. Mm. So that happened. And then even within the states that kept their caucuses and primaries. Man, Virginia, the Republic, state Republican parties made clear, uh, you're the enemy. Don't run against my guy. We're going to do everything we can to help Trump. We're not going to lift a finger for you. And, and that happened in Iowa. I mean, the cheating and the fraud in these caucuses was rampant. I wasn't going to get 30 percent of the vote, but I got more than one percent. Mm-hmm. But it was just clear that the state Republican parties, who, by the way, huge turnover since Trump got elected, something like 90% of the state Republican parties are run by Trump people. There was huge turnover. They get their money now. They're wholly dependent upon the RNC for their money. So they literally take their marching orders from Team Trump. And Team Trump brags about, publicly, they bragged about all the caucuses and primaries they've been able to cancel I just realized Virginia probably a while ago, but confirmed last week, look, I've dedicated my life and I've given up my life to do what I can to stop Trump Mm -hmm. because I think he's what our founders feared. It's impossible to do it in a Republican primary because the party is his party. It's not my party. I don't belong in that party. And so it was pointless for me to just go through the paces and get one or two percent here and there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you made the right decision and now you can, you know, join voices with the Rick Wilsons of the world, the Justin Amashes of the world, the Anthony Scaramucci's of the world who really are devoting themselves to, you know, what they can do to to damage the president.
0: Well, and I'm going to do something very different. I'm going to do what a lot of those guys can't do. Yeah. I am literally going to go out in campaign. I'm going to go into states and try to get moderates and conservatives to agree with what I said this morning, which is, I mean, I'd rather have a socialist in the White House than Donald
1: Trump. Yeah.
0: It could be a very close election. So I think that's really valuable. I want to convince moderates of that.
1: Are you going to fully encourage people to vote for the Democrat? Are you going to ask them to stay home? Are you going to just raise doubts?
0: I am going to demand that. I'm going to actively campaign for any Democrat.
1: That's amazing. And I'm going to hold you to that. And you've said, even if, Joe, even if it is Bernie Sanders, a valid socialist, that you're going to go to the mat for him. Even I am having a hard time thinking about Bernie Sanders, President Bernie Sanders. But the idea that, you know, you and I will be out there pushing Medicare for all and, you know, free college for illegal immigrants makes the prospect more savory. I just like the idea of of you committing to doing that.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is really important. I said this this morning. The party is a cult. I'd rather have a socialist in the White House than a dictator. I, I mean that. Like, yeah. Virginia, I'd love, I want to get back to a place where you and I are having a discussion on how to pay for college and what to do with our health care system. Yes. But, but that's all got out. That's all got out. Be on hold right now. Because we have a guy in the White House who can't tell the truth, who believes he's above the law. He believes he's a dictator. Yeah, That's more pressing than any public policy issue. If a guy like me can embrace Bernie Sanders, then damn it, anybody should.
1: That seems right. And I will also commit to working for Bernie Sanders as a left of center person. So I want to press on the cult thing, because that's been a bit of a preoccupation at Trumpcast. You may have talked to Stephen Hassan, who wrote a book, The Cult of Trump. He himself is a former Mooney who managed to get out of the Moonies. And there have been lots of other former cult members and psychologists who say that this cult thing is not just a throwaway way metaphor. There really is something very, very strange about seeing our fellow Americans um, say things that are contrary to common sense, the evidence of their eyes, stated positions they've had in the past, their own interests, their own self interests, even their own survival in some cases. And something is going on, leaving apart any kind of partisan politics. What do you think happened to these people? I mean, they're individuals you're familiar with. I get they wanted to own the libs, but why did they just start saying things that are patently false and with fire in their eyes about it? I mean, it really is like listening to Moonies.
0: Totally. And uh, again, I don't think Trump has supporters. He's got followers. And I've yes. never seen it before. I've never, ever seen it before. Um, maybe I'm beating a dead horse, Virginia, but it, I've just spent so much time talking to these folks. They felt so unheard and so ignored uh some of it legitimate a lot of it not they were looking for somebody to blame for their plight their the the industry the employer leaving their community Um, all of this you know again because i hear this on the radio all the time all the all the different genders and anybody can marry anybody it's like their worlds their world was coming undone And along came a guy who finally fucking said, I'm going to do something about it. And it was bullshit, but they were so desperate to finally have somebody. And truthfully, Virginia, our party sucked. The Republican Party sucked. I mean, I I take a lot of blame for Trump because I helped create him. I was an angry Tea Party guy, and I said some bad, horrible things over the last eight to 10 years because oftentimes I got over my skis and I engaged in ugly personal politics but the other thing that led to Trump, Virginia, was an absolutely out to lunch Republican establishment. Trump's a demagogue, but, but the Republican establishment did not at all understand how desperate, angry, and frustrated their primarily white base was.
1: The thing is that that frustration that was so lost on the rest of us, and I think lost on mainstream Republicans also, that there were, you know, Jeb Bush was expected to, to get the nomination and the RNC was all behind him. So it wasn't as though, you know, people in red states or or even Republicans in Congress, Paul Ryan, had sort of discovered the fury alive in the nation before, before anyone else. I mean, there's always that question of, were people all Already angry and could be activated along Trumpian lines, or did he in some kind of just idiosyncratic, extraterrestrial way, generate Trumpism, you know, fully formed from his own strange mind?
0: Virginia, the anger was there. I mean the twenty ten Tea Party wave, it might have been angry about a few different things. We talked about the two strands, but the anger yes. was there. And and my God, I was out with these people for seven or eight years before Trump. Yeah. They were angry. And, and and then Trump, who's a, an absolute jagoff, comes along and just lights a fire under him. So Absolutely.
1: I've just been reading about Rush Limbaugh's history, and he's made it quite clear that he really knows how to wind up people. And that's sort of his pleasure. Yeah. Right. Is kind of like yeah. getting people mad. And, you know, he's been criticized by other Republicans in more peaceful days for actually um, and you're a Midwesterner, so you can tell me if this sounds true, but for preying on certain insecurities in the heartland, social insecurities, cultural insecurities. And I will conclude as someone who grew up in New England and and is in New York that the places I've chosen to live, I prefer them to other places. I prefer New York to Los Angeles in spite of the fact that people seem healthier and maybe happier in Los Angeles It has better weather. Well, I've made that trade-off. I live in New York in smaller spaces. I also know that there's great community and churches and and wholesomeness and, and And you can get lots more property in the Midwest, but I choose to live in New York. Otherwise, I don't look down on the Midwest at all. Plenty of friends, right? So then so this idea that Rush Limbaugh sort of and and others cooked up that everybody in, you know, everywhere from Charleston, South Carolina to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, because they're on a coast, is spending a lot of time saying, Oh, those idiots in Oklahoma. No, I've never heard a person do that once.
0: Agreed. And uh, again, you are spot on. The most frustrating aspect of living in the conservative media world for six years was the fact that Rush Limbaugh and Hannity and all the rest go down the line. They lied to their listeners and viewers, and you nailed it. They manipulated these folks. They purposely took advantage of uh, some of their fears and worries and concerns and amplified them creating enemies purposely. Virginia, it just it made me so disgusted with my profession. I was disgusted before Trump came along, but then after Trump came along, all, we talk, all everybody wanted to talk about was Trump. But you're right. This has been going on for years. Planting seeds of anger and fear in these people is just disgusting.
1: So you admit, and Anthony Scaramucci, Max Boot, lots of people on this show have also admitted to the extent that they were part of it, even when they started to have misgivings about it. And I think you come at it from a sort of slightly interesting, let's just call it showbiz angle. But at what point did you think this Tea Party stuff, or, you know, one of our listeners asked, you know, that reminded us that you said, I'll pick up a musket if Hillary Clinton right. wins. So what about that kind of hyper-stimulating vocabulary attracted you? And at what point did you, in your heart of hearts, a mother's son, a kid, Joe, who'd grown up with values, decide, (laughs) why am I doing this carny razzle-dazzle show?
0: Well, Virginia, that's such an awesome question. It really is. And I'm going to give you an answer, and if you don't believe me, then fire back at me. Okay. I never, ever, ever tried to do radio like that. There were times when I got caught up in shit. And like, and it's not just in like that musket tweet, Virginia. Yeah. Like, I love that musket tweet. But did I have to tweet something like that? Um, but I was making a point. There's no doubt that I fell prey to, and I suppose I still do. You know, the Twitter world, the the media world, where you want to get clicks and you want to get retweets, and so that drove some of what I did. And certainly on the radio, there is an entertainment aspect to it. But with me, it was more. I got so damn caught up in what I believed in and in what I was saying that oftentimes I'd go over the line and say, oh, Obama hates America. Yeah. And I wouldn't say shit like that to try to entertain people. I'd say stuff like that because I just, I'd get so caught up in an argument about whatever that I'd go too far. But I think you make a good point in that, look, I, Rush Limbaugh is an entertainer, period. And there are a lot of people like that in the conservative media world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I was a former congressman. I love this stuff, and I love the policy. And sometimes I would just get a little too personal and ugly.
1: Just kind of like in a, I don't know, a locker room talk or sort of just like a fun frenzy of trolling and kind of yeah. upsetting people and, dis, you know, disrupting their equilibrium. Well, I would try to, you know what, I,
0: I never, ever wanted to be in, in like some, I'd, I'd have producers who would say, say, you need to do more stick. And I'd say, I don't do stick. I say what I believe. Mm-hmm. But I am guilty, Virginia, of too often trying to provoke people. Yeah. i al- when I was on the radio and, and on twitter i've always been fascinated by the issue of race, so I would really try to provoke people to get generate discussions on race. I remember i'd often say i'd have discussions five, six years ago Obama only got elected because he was black. Now, some people would yell at me and say, "Joe, you're being a racist but but what I was trying to do was provoke a discussion as to what race what part race was in obama 's election but I'm, so i'm guilty of probably trying to provoke too often.
1: That's a University of Chicago thing. (laughs) I've heard some people say that in more peaceful, less precarious, less dangerous times, we can allow ourselves a little bit more. Things can get a little more bruising. But, you know, it feels like a powder keg out there right now. I mean, these people are armed, as you well know, and not just with muskets. Uh, the one thing I did like about your tweet is that the if the founding fathers, <laughs> if the Second Amendment protects anything, it should protect the right to bear the arms that were available to the founding fathers, i.e. muskets.
0: Virginia, let me say one thing about the musket tweet, because I never, ever get to say this. That's my favorite tweet. Um, And I think the tweet was, if if Hillary wins, I'm grabbing my musket and I'm charging the White House. I mean, obviously that was tongue-in-cheek because who would lead an insurrection with a musket? But that was that tweet I sent out 10 days before the election. On the morning of the election, nobody ever mentions the other musket tweet. On the morning of the 2016 election, I sent out another tweet that said, no matter who wins tonight, I'm grabbing my musket and I'm fighting for freedom and limited government. That one, that one never got picked up. But to your broader point, when Donald Trump got elected, Virginia, and I started watching this fucking guy day after day,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: he like slapped me. It was like a cold slap of water across my face every day. And for that first year, year and a half of his presidency, Virginia, ask my wife, I did so much soul searching. I -hmm. I said, my God, I'm dazed. Did I sound like Trump? Uh, I knew I helped lead to him, but he's like the worst iteration of what all of us are. And he, his election and everything he says and does every day has really forced me, um, has given me the opportunity to change who I am. I still believe what I believe, but man, my tone has changed 180 degrees in the last two and a half years.
1: I mean, I'm so grateful to hear you say that. And I am maybe because I do this every have to think about this every day, but I'm with Elijah Cummings (laughs) when he said to Michael Cohen, you know, I hope this is you can see this as happening not to you, but for you. That ultimately something that some of the soul searching that lots of us who would not searched our souls in a long time have had to do because of this president. You know, it's been pretty extraordinary. everything from Justin Amash to Christianity today and some other Christian leaders finally breaking with the liberty, Liberty University. And that brings me to another Tea Party thing. So I know you're on the libertarian side of things. And as soon as he was talking about the wall and the Muslim ban, I thought, God, my you know, libertarian friends are not going to go for this. Yeah. But then I also was wondering about the family values people. Where are they? I yeah. mean, you know, I really thought he could never get elected because I thought I knew what Republicans believed in, and it was pretty simple. What happened with the Christians? What happened with the evangelicals?
0: Virginia, it's just it's so disappointing. <laughs> All I can do is almost cry. It, it, and everything, I guess, eventually comes back to the cult and in that he's payback. I have heard from a number of my Christian supporters and listeners over the last two and a half years, yeah. a familiar refrain that I know Trump's, personally, he's a flawed man. I'd always hear that. He's a flawed man, a flawed man. But Joe, God often picks flawed men to lead, uh, right, to lead his people. And and God often calls flawed men at points in history they would use that as a crutch, and they'd use that as some sort of a defense of justification. But it, it just doesn't wash its it's hypocrisy at its greatest, because these same people, you know, read Bill Clinton, the riot act for things that Bill Clinton did personally.
1: Poof! So now we both are on record as saying, because we're not assholes, and we know Trump is a great threat, that we would campaign even for Bernie Sanders if he gets the nomination. But is there someone else in the primary, in the Democratic primary, who you think actually could be a president that could right the ship of state?
0: So everything I'm going to say to you, I say with the huge hope that Donald Trump is not reelected. Uh, I tend to be a contrarian on this. And you, you know this world better than I do. I don't know the Democrat world, the world of the left as well as you do. The I Democratic world. You've dem- got
1: to start saying Democratic Party and stuff, thank that you. Democrat thing. The Democratic thing. Party. Okay, thank yes. You.
0: Virginia, by the way, thank you for catching me. I mean that. <laughs> um, the Democratic Party and the world of the good folks on the left. I think any Democrat can beat Trump. I mean, I, I, here's part of what I think your side is going through. You're, you're gun-shy. Nobody thought this asshole would win in 2016. Right. A lot of you people stayed home. Um, you never thought it would happen. And now, now that it's happened, you like, are, I hear so many people on the left, my friends on the left, who are convinced that Trump's going to win again. No. We've got data right in front of us. Republicans got their asses handed them in 2018. That was the largest differential in a midterm election between the two parties ever. Democrats kicked our butts in every special election since Donald Trump won. Democrat turnout has been through the roof. Um, I think the resistance to Trump is profound. Trump has not added any new voters now. Having said all of that, you've got to choose where you're going to go. I talked to so many Republicans on the ground the last two months in Iowa who told me, Joe, I love you, but I'm caucusing with the Democrats because you can't win, and I want a reasonable moderate Democrat. Hmm. And they would caucus for Klobuchar or Biden. Okay. If Klobuchar or Biden is the nominee, I guarantee you millions of Republicans are going to vote for Klobuchar and Biden. And I think Klobuchar or Biden would kick Trump's butt. But then I can see if if Bernie or Warren is the nominee, you're just going to have to galvanize uh, some other constituencies because Bernie and Warren scare the pants off of Republicans. Yeah, but I think you can. I think I think either one can still do it.
1: Okay, what do you think of Michael Bloomberg?
0: I don't like him. Uh, I don't like his politics. I don't like his. Na- you know, the nanny Bloomberg on you can't drink a big yep. soda and you were going to take your guns. And okay. he just seems to be I know better and I know better than you kind of a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, if Michael Bloomberg is the nominee, Virginia, I can't tell a lie uh, the same number of Republicans will vote for Bloomberg.
1: Yes. Yeah. I bet if you get him some votes, too, he might slip you a billion dollars. I just feel like he might.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will. I will support anybody. But yeah, I mean, I will embrace uh, Michael Bloomberg. Absolutely.
1: Joe, this has been fantastic to talk to you. I know it's been it's a huge day for you. So thanks for taking time out. And I'll keep watching what you do next. Thank you.
0: I've enjoyed it. You're awesome. Talk to you soon.
1: That's it for today's show. What do you think? We love your own conversion stories. Did you break from Trump or did you break even farther away from Trump? Let's hear it. I'm page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And then go over to Slate.com slash TrumpCast Plus. Because the way we stay in business is when you become a Slate Plus member. It's all down to you. Today's the day. Plus members, get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for only $35 for that first year. Best of all, really best of all, you'll be supporting our work. So go to Slate.com slash TrumpCast Plus. Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Asha Saluja. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.